Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 7th of August 2013. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, I'm Phil Hinton, editor of AV Forums, and joining me for this edition are AV Forums assistant editor Steve Withers. That's some bad hat, Harry. Games editor Mark Botwright. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. You were on the Indianapolis. And hardware reviewer Ed Selly. You yell shark, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Getting right to it, and uh, Steve has been lucky enough this past couple of weeks to be pleasuring himself with some very high-end home cinema kit that probably 99% of listeners to this podcast will never be able to afford or have in their homes. And I guess we've been a little bit like Top Gear than this week, Steve, in respect of uh, spending time with kit that's just not realistically possible for anyone other than the super rich to own. Uh, but you have been spending time with the data sat, and at least I know your skin, and you can't even afford a Starbucks, never mind this kit, but you spent a couple of weeks with it. What were your thoughts? Well, Phil, I mean, you're absolutely right to say that there are times, I think, when when you can review what I would call aspirational equipment. And this definitely falls in that category. Yes, most people will be able to afford it. Uh, the processor, the RS20i, costs a cheeky 18600 And the amplifier that came with it, a seven-channel power amp, uh, the RA7300, that's uh, a further 14400 So all in total, it's about 32000 quids worth of uh, audio kit. Uh, not including any speakers or anything like that, just the processor and the amplification. But what I can say is it's quite refreshing sometimes to actually realise that if you do shut out an obscene amount of money, you do get an, a level of performance you know, that is um, prerequisite with that amount of money that you've spent. Um, the RS20i and the RA7300 sounded absolutely incredible. I could honestly say it's the best audio I've ever heard anywhere and that includes most cinemas i was in the cinema and saw three films on friday and none of them sounded as good as it did when i watched the hobbit yesterday um uh, in, in my own home cinema absolutely incredible not only is the processor itself basically the consumer version of the one datasat make for the cinema because datasat bought dts so they actually make processors for the cinema so if you go and see a film and data in you know using data sound system that that's got what's called the ap20 processor in there this is the consumer version of that so it's basically exactly the same thing but a bit more pretty and kind of you know made to made to sort of appeal to the consumer um but it's also got what's called DRAC um room room optimization and that's some incredibly advanced software that basically eqs the entire room and, and, and i mean i've seen some fairly good room eq systems in my time but this is just a whole different level uh, and, you know, the room itself just completely disappears uh, and the speakers are, are perfectly tonally matched. Everything sounds incredible. It's just, it's just uh, you know, it is quite refreshing to think, well, OK, it is a hell of a lot of money. But if you've got a lot of money, at least, you know, you can get this kind of level of performance. I mean, you can get you know good performance from a lot for a lot less. But uh, the, the base management on it was just staggering. I actually discovered three rattles in my room I didn't know were there before and ended up going down to B&Q and buying some of that um, excluded, you know, a draft excluder stuff you put around door frames, sort of doors from rattling. Um, and that made it sound even better then because there was no rattles, so just like loads and loads of bass. But uh, yes, I have been pleasuring myself all weekend with that and it's been an absolute joy. Giving it back yet? No, no I haven't. <laughs> Keeping quiet. <laughs> Well, I think, to be honest, one of the problems is that the the RA7300 uh, weighs 75 kilos. I kid you not, 
75 kilos. I don't know what the hell it's made of. I think it must be from the heart of a neutron star or something. But uh, I think they're probably putting off coming to collect it because someone's going to pick that thing up. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get it in the back of the car again. It's got to be said, there is a childish joy in um, in the ultra high end. Some years ago, I was sent uh, the the flagship Wadia CD player that took, was four boxes to play a CD. Um, and weighed it, that was that was getting on for seventy odd kilos spread over over the, the, the different things and um, fifty four thousand pounds and even by that stage I mean I still still using streamers by that point but there was a joy in just how over the top the engineering was and some of the things it was capable of doing that that had me sort of yeah I mean even though I, I don't consider I'll be buying another CD player I, I still thought it was really quite something. There has to be a point, though, where we're talking about diminishing returns with anything, be it video or audio. And certainly when you start getting up to that level, you know, and start comparing it to processors that are maybe £5,000 and above, you're getting in areas most of the time with this high-end kit, Ed, that, you know, actually hearing a difference, a lot of that's diminishing returns, really. Oh, un- undoubtedly. Um, and it's not just audio. I mean, you can you can buy uh, a voxel these days which will do 161 miles an hour um so you're most of the way to the uh, the speed of a uh, vastly more expensive uh, sort of porsche cayman but uh, you're certainly on your way to losing your license well that as well um but yeah it it's it, it applies to everything and the only person that can make a decision on whether you want to chase that last couple of percent um is yourself you need to make make sort of some calm and rational financial decisions and decide if it's for you i mean uh, i i don't doubt that five the five grand processors on the market are are capable of, of great things but there will be a select group of people who are in a position to go do you know what i want the best and you know i i really want to consider the data as 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 one of those options um and you know we would from looking at that from the outside it's only ever going to look irrational but you know we, we all have our we all have our decision points i mean i could buy a watch that tells the time for for less than 10 pounds i like to spend more than that because you know, I, I value some of the other sort of styling and functionality points of it, and it's the same for for so many other things. How much do you think you need to spend on speakers to to match the uh, process? Well, no, I mean I'm yeah. using them with BMWs, but you know the fact is the Dirac we got EQs the room and the speakers, mm-hmm. so you, know, you can you can make just about anything sound good. To be perfectly oh, yeah, honest, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know it's got an SVS sub in there. The amount of the the, the, the base the base it's putting out is just staggering. I mean, it's get I'm, too, I'm you, you sort of wonder. From the surrounds, which you know obviously don't have any bass response really because they're small book- bookshelf speakers, you think, well, how is it doing that? Because I know there's nothing back there that can get that low. But it just it just seems to get it around the room, you know, even the whole room out really well. Um, just absolutely superb. And I know my room's difficult because it's got a massive node in it at about 50 hertz that you have to deal with. Um, and it did a picture. Having said that, uh, as Phil pointed out and, and as just said, you know, you could buy a, an Anthem uh, uh, receiver for, for a thousand quid. And get ARC, which is well, perhaps not quite as sophisticated as the Dirac system, is really bloody good for the money, and does a fantastic job of EQing a room. And obviously, that's a lot less money. Mm. Um, and again, um, Anthem's receivers do use realistic uh, power numbers. You know, I mean, they'll be only eighty to one hundred and fifty watts, depending on which one you buy. But from my experience, they genuinely are putting out that, and it's not all but you know, to, to drive to the point where it explodes and take the number just below that. It, it's you know, they're realistic numbers, and the same with the data set kit. But yeah, it's like you know, it's between buying a Ford Fiesta and buying a Maserati, isn't it? Really, not that I'm calling an Anthem a Ford Fiesta. 
<laughs> Moving on, uh, we're going to talk about LG because we haven't spoken about LG for a little while on the podcast. And they've changed their logo um, or their tagline from Life's Good to It's All Possible. Uh, I don't think they've changed it as such. It's a complimentary tagline, although I guess more and more of the uh, advertising we'll see will carry it. Um, it's uh, it's to, to reflect LG's new age of devices uh, and their new user behaviours. So we're talking mobile devices. We're happy and cloudy. Uh, a bit of a jolly advert to launch it. Uh, and, of course, they're using... Uh, OLED TV as the poster boy for this uh, in a series of uh, exhibitions and adverts. How ironic. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> it's all possible apart from It's all from, even OLED. Apart apparently. from OLED. <laughs> yeah, and a number of airports around the world that you, you'll, be, you'll be seeing this, uh, this, this happy little message from LG. Um, interesting news came out of Korea last week. Um, we know it's been on the cards for a while, but they've uh, the bigger gun installing uh, a new fabrication plant in Korea, got the M2 Gen 8. Uh, facility uh, and the great news hopefully uh, is it will improve yields uh, dramatically and production processes will be far more streamlined well let's face it mark right well it couldn't get any worse it couldn't be any worse because yields are zero at the minute this tv they've been saying oh oled it's going to be coming out this was three years ago uh, last year we were, was it last year, Steve, or the year last before? Last May, yeah. Last May, we were, we were in Monaco. Here's the brand new OLED TV. Never came to market. I was in Korea in February. Here's OLED. Still not in the market. Well, it, 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 to be fair, it's in Harrods, right? You can yes, go into Harrods help. And, and pre-order one. God you knows when you're going to get it, but you can pre-order one. And let's just say now that when LG mentioned OLED, we all go, yeah, okay. Yeah, we've all arrived, haven't we, basically? I mean, they had the cheek at CES to say that they now wanted third-generation curved screens. <laughs> that was brilliant. They go, oh, this is a third-generation OLED screen. Okay, right. So what was the first generation? Oh, the ones that we didn't launch last year. Right, okay. Second generation, this one, which is exactly the same as the one last year, but with a different stand. And this is the third generation, which is the curved OLED. So really the same thing three times. Not really. Generation means a different, you know, move on in technology, not just a different stand. But anyway, none of that stuff ever came to market, by the way. And now all the other manufacturers have been pushing ahead with them. And LG themselves, of course, have been pushing ahead with 4K. So is there ever going to be any demand, even if they can make OLED in kind of viable numbers? Is there going to be a demand for a 1080p OLED screen at sort of, you know, seven or eight grand when you can buy 4K Sony or LG or Samsung? Well, this is where Panasonic is positioning themselves. I think Panasonic are going to jump in with a 4K OLED, aren't they? Well, they've got a different process to making them as well. Which they yeah, the, the printed process. Superior yeah. printing process. So, yes, I mean, I think that uh, Panasonic may, and it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, still a gamble, but they may steal a march here. They can come to market next year with 4K OLED at a realistic price. Well, that um, seems, that seems to be their plan, doesn't it? That'll be a winner. I think they'll, be, they'll absolutely nail it. Because yeah. you've got the combination of the high resolution and the incredible image quality of OLED. It was, that makes it was, me very happy as a concept, it must be said. I mean, yeah. it's not, not normally my uh, my speciality area, but the, but the idea of those two technologies together is, is, is a very enticing one. It was also interesting, um, off the record... <laughs> <laughs> off the record in public. Off, now, please. <laughs> off, the, off the record, I'm not going to mention who I was speaking to, but uh, they did have a partnership with Sony, or Sony had a partnership with Panasonic. I'm not going to tell you which side of the fence this information came from, but uh, Sony a little bit colder on the whole 4K OLED thing and seemed to be really pushing just 4K 
you know, LED screens. Yeah. So interesting they're taking that tact, yet Panasonic seem to be uh, marching on with this 4K OLED. And I have no doubt, Steve, you're going to see that uh, in a few weeks uh, in Berlin. Uh, that's that's going to be the big thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping that thing. with Aoife coming up in a few weeks and then obviously Celia, we should see a raft of uh, 4K announcements, uh, um, you know, particularly since a lot of projectors get launched this time of year. You know, that that's where, you know, for my, for, obviously I, I'm a big projector fan. I mean, there's a secret. Um, and with with projectors and large screen sizes, you know, like, as in 10 foot screen sizes, that's where 4K really, really adds value. So for my, you know, what I'm waiting for are more, 4K projector announcements, and I'm really hoping we're going to see that in September. Will we see one from JVC? Who knows? You, they've got a big press launch range, haven't they? Is it October or o- September? Yeah, October. I'm I'm sure that's going to f- follow on from uh, the stuff's normally announced at Cedia yeah. uh, in the US, um, which is towards the end of September, end of middle September. middle of the end of September. Uh, then we've got a European launch event in October, which I've already had an invite to. Really interesting to see what they do this year with the projector line because funnily enough normally every two years they change the lineup um last year we went into the third year with the same chassis which is unusual for jvc and they don't normally have um big launches do they like they got this year no they don't so that says to me if if they're using the same chassis for a third year they're obviously developing something to launch this year coming so it's going to be interesting and um, it, interesting because the market seems to be moving in a couple of different directions. You've got laser LED um, DLP projectors. Uh, you've got Sony launching a, a laser LED LCD projector in the professional lineup. Um, so interesting on that side because I think LED, laser LED, um, is the holy grail that projector owners want because it's yeah. it's a case of it's instant on, instant off, and it doesn't no dimming. doesn't drop brightness over the life. Well, it does, but it's about five to ten percent. Yeah, 10%, it's minor though. It's not going to be a major which issue. You're never gonna you're never gonna know. It's the other thing is 4K, um, and being able to to get that resolution on a chip, and can they do that with with their technology, their DILA technology? Sony have done it with SXRD. Uh, but that was a, a, a generation from their professional lineup. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see that. That's coming up. So There's also the uh, Red Red's uh, codename Crimson projector, which is supposed to be coming, which is, again, 4K, and I believe using LED laser hybrid. So that'll be interesting too. Okay, so uh, interesting times ahead. And uh, IFA coming up next month, which I'm sure we're going to get some, uh, some big stories coming for that. Steve's going over. Uh, to Berlin for that show so that wraps up the hardware news and coming next is movies moving on and uh, before we get into the movies and what Steve's been to see at the cinema uh, this last week and he hinted at the fact that he's actually seen three films so we've got to sit through three reviews Uh but never mind the new Doctor Who at the time of recording this on Monday night last night Sunday uh, the BBC revealed who the new Doctor is going to be, and Mr. Botwright's going to tell us who it is. Hey, what? Uh, <laughs> who is it? Uh, uh, um, uh, is it Peter Capaldi? It is indeed. Good. So what do we think of this? Peter, you know, the first thing that came in my mind was Tucker and the, st- <laughs> yeah. and the swearing. And that I'm just thinking, it, you know, that just makes me want to watch Doctor Who. You know, if, if we could, <laughs> Tucker is a doctor and him just swearing all the way. Uh, oh, and immense, how we it? deal with aliens and the, all the rest of you, you know. Now, f-ing listen here, you You try that <laughs> you f***ing Dalek, and I will f***ing eviscerate you. <laughs> 
What's that accent? Yeah, he's not Rubbish Irish. Scottish, he's not Irish. <laughs> <laughs> this does actually lend to an interesting point, though, doesn't it? And so much as of the more recent doctors, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, not off the top of my head. I, I can't say with such authority about some of the older ones, but um, Capaldi is the first one which has had such a, a distinctive and defining role prior to being the doctor and i'm not saying for a second christopher eccleston in particular hadn't done anything of note but they were more one-offs um and, and less sort of serious uh, you know series based based work it which meant he was less identifiable as one thing um and and, and i think this is going to be an interesting one because yes as you say a, lo- a large quantity of us are just waiting for him to just shout various aliens but probably not death. their target audience which are obviously kids who i hope hopefully haven't been watching the thick of it and well i'm like granted but it's still it, doctor who is one of those things which for the very fact that we're discussing it on this podcast it, it is more than just a children's program and uh, I, th- I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting because we're associating with something radically different and altogether swearier i'm more so, annoyed about them him being chosen although he's a superb actor and probably a good choice um, but he's already been in Doctor Who. He was in an episode called The Fires of Pompeii where he played a character, and he was in Torchwood, which is a Doctor Who spin-off. So, so now you've had the same actor. Yeah, but, that's, but that's, that has happened before, though, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I, know. Um, I mean, Karen so... Gillan, funny enough, was in the same episode as him, The Fires of Pompeii, before she was cast as Amy Pond. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of still like, you know, I think if you've been in Doctor Who, as anything other than the Doctor, that's it. You can't be the doctor. So that's what breaks the suspension of disbelief for you. They've <laughs> yeah, been in exactly, it before. Yeah. I just want some continuity. <laughs> that's that's what I want. A time Lord, I'm fine. I'm signed up. Hang on. I recognise that face. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, okay, so we've got a, a few generations here. So who was your Doctor Who? I'll start off. Mine's just Tom Baker. Uh, Tom and, Baker. And always will be Tom Baker with, with the scarf and the hat and... Um, because that's that's who the doctor was when I was growing up, and I even got my granny to knit me one of those scarves that was six foot long, and you know, I was only a few inches high. <laughs> yeah, that's my Doctor Who. That's my memories. Um, hiding behind this sofa yeah, on a Saturday that, night. It was the Alpha Centauri's that used to get me the potato heads. I was terrified of them as a kid, and that was a top, that was a Tom Baker uh, episode. Uh, yeah, they're definitely Tom Baker for me. Totally, totally made the program. I kind of lost touch with it after after Tom. Never really talked to Peter Davidson particularly, and well, the less said about Sylvester McCoy, the better. Just in general. I mean, I never really saw any UK television at all until I was ten, so I sort of watched things retrospectively. So for me, it's a toss-up between. Uh, I do think Tom Baker, principally because he's Tom Baker, was great. Um, but I have to say, I do, I did rate Christopher Eccleston very highly. I mean, he didn't do that many episodes. Um, and yeah, you, th- that was a bit disappointing. But there was yeah, there's a, a, a just a sort of concealed craziness to him, which I I've always quite quite liked and respected. I, I thought that he was extremely good. I actually think Matt Smith's been superb, um, really really good. I mean, obviously total unknown when he was cast, but his his physical uh, movement and slapstick and, and body action is just absolutely genius at times. And he handles the comic elements and the and the more serious elements very well. Also, because he was only 27 when he was cast, he was very much the same age as his companions. Um, um, Karen Gillan the same age as him, and so is uh, Jenna Coleman. Therefore, there's a lot more chemistry between him and his companions, more, frankly, sexual chemistry between them than ever before. And in fact, if anything, it made it difficult for us to believe in 
River Song and him having a relationship because she's obviously Alex Kingston is in her late forties. That didn't really work. Now it'll be interesting to see how they're going to have Capaldi, who's fifty-five, and Janet Coleman, who's twenty-seven, how they're going to interact with each other. You know, given the massive age difference. Yeah, you would have thought the BBC would have learnt their lesson. Right <laughs> well, yeah, quite. <laughs> did, did you did you also know there that, that Steve didn't mention who his Doctor Who was because he doesn't want people to know all the radio. It was on the radio said, when it came. I said mine's Tom Baker, same as you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I do remember come John. On, Pert- I do remember yeah, John Pertwee as well. Yeah. I do remember John Pertwee as well. Uh, for me, uh, Sylvester McCoy. I'm sorry. It. You know what? <laughs> Much maligned, but it does. It reinforces my view that it is whoever was the doctor when you were a child, and whichever kind of episode scared you the most, those are the ones that you tend to take round with you. No, I, I, I agree with that totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I've kind of lost track of it. Um, I watched the Eggleston ones, and then I lost track. As soon as Billy Piper left, I thought, well, there's no yeah. no point <laughs> watching this anymore. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so that's a new Doctor oh. Who. When is it that he comes on? Is it the Christmas special? Or... Yeah, they, they, they regenerate in the Christmas special. Christmas special. All right, so we've got a little bit longer to wait. Uh, so why not stick in the Hobbit extended cut? Because that'll take us up to Christmas, won't it? Yeah. Did we need a longer version of the Hobbit? Really? It's a Peter Jackson film. What did you expect? Well, I thought, I thought mocked, you were going to say it's a piece it? of How much longer is it? Not much, is it? 13 minutes. Yeah, I think it might be worth it, is it? Yeah, well, I suppose if you're adding 13 minutes onto 13 hours, it's not, yeah, that's what it feels like. It's, it's a marketing plot. I mean, it's different with Lord of the Rings, but clearly they were trying to shoehorn an awful lot of plot into, even even though they were long films, they were still struggling to get everything in there. But with The Hobbit, where they're clearly padding it out. Yeah, you'll get the next, three, you're getting the next three sequels in the next like, 13 minutes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, a, I mean, it worked brilliantly for them with the previous films. You know, the idea of the film re- cinema release, then a theatrical cut on DVD at the time, then the extended cut on DVD just prior to the release of the second film or third film at the cinema. So, yeah, it's, it's a release schedule that's worked very well for them in the past. Clearly, they're replicating it now. Um, you know, I actually watched it, like I said earlier, on Sunday. Um, and um, although I hated it at the cinema because of HFR, I, I did thoroughly enjoy it um, watching it at home. And, um, you know, there's going to be extras on there. And the extras on the previous films were superb. Some of the best DVD extras ever ever produced. So, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully a relatively honest tale about the making of the film. Because obviously it's had a very troubled production. Thing is, though, Steve, wouldn't you say, given the hardware that we talked about earlier that you were watching it on, would it be fair to say that you could have also sat down and watched back-to-back episodes of Play School, and you'd have probably found that quite exciting as well, (laughs) given that you know you apparently enjoying (laughs) EQ'd perfection and seven times three hundred watts of just animalistic power. So I I might suggest that you sit back down and watch it on a on a nice home cinema in a box and come back to us. I think Play School's probably more preferable to The Hobbit, (laughs) and and I've got a feeling that Mr. Potter is going to agree with me. How did you know? Uh, Yeah, not for me, I'm afraid. No, I'm I'm afraid I never really bought into the whole Tolkien thing. Um, I I like fancy games. I used to like the kind of fancy role-playing novels and the like and things like that, but it just swept past me, I'm afraid. Oh, well. Anyone who is interested in The Hobbit, it's the 4th of November that it comes out on its extended cut. And actually, just quickly mentioning, go back to Doctor Who, 23rd of November is the 50th anniversary special uh, special edition, which um, will be in 3D, the last BBC 3D experiment. Uh, and it also has uh, not only John uh, John Hurt playing the Doctor, 
And obviously Matt Smith, David Tennant's coming back. Billy Piper's back, Phil, if you want to catch a bit more of the Piper. So it'll uh, be interesting to see how they how they mix all that together in one uh, in one special. Uh, it's not uh, a live one though, is it? No, 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 no. We don't want we don't want Zoe Ball on again. Jesus. <laughs> I tell you what, that's how big though Doctor Who is for the BBC that they can actually put out a prime time TV show just to announce the actor playing. And, and it sh- and it shows you how strong the whole Doctor Who brand is because I was actually looking across quite a few American tech sites at the time and they were all watching it and they were all reporting on it. So, uh, you know... All, all Doctor- that worst kept secret ever. Yeah. I mean, uh, the bookies stopped, stopped taking bets because everyone was putting so much money on but Peter it, 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 It's the longest running sci-fi series on TV yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. So, And it's got a huge fan base, massive fan base. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes in this country we forget just how popular it is, uh, certainly in countries like Australia and America, Um where it has huge followings. So. Peter Jackson's a massive uh, Doctor Who fan. He actually offered to direct the special for nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine how long that was? Been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ <laughs> almighty. Through Christmas Day, through New Year's. <laughs> yeah, they'd be having a real-time, you know, party real, like they real, yeah, real Hobbit. Party. People yeah. walking four yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to another franchise that's going to be uh, done to death, and that's uh, James Cameron's Avatar. It's been announced that we're going to have an Avatar 2, 3, 4, uh, $1 billion budget and release dates of 2016, 2017, 2018. <sighs> <laughs> I think that sums it up for me as well. I, I think it's very hard to, to describe how little I care about that announcement. I, just, I haven't got. I, I have seen every single minute of the original one, but not sequentially, and I I, <laughs> I I can't be asked to make the effort to do so now. It just just leaves me cold. I just find the the budget a, a billion dollars. I mean, I know there's a precedent for relatively large budgets. I think the, the second and third uh, parts of the Caribbean movies were shot back to back, and that was like a half a billion dollar budget, but billion dollars that's just that's some serious money you, you could, you could you almost paint doesn't yeah. it well yeah i mean you could almost afford some data sat kit with that budget <laughs> but you, know, but you could go to pandora for real and that kind of budget couldn't you <laughs> well that's going to be the second announcement he is actually going to shoot it in space oh, well I, I wish cameron should go having already been to the deepest part of the ocean on his own with 3D cameras and and lighting rigs, I want to send him into space next. That's what we should be doing with that guy. Guys, guys, a legend. I mean, he is a, just an absolute legend. I love Cameron. I mean, D- James, not David. <laughs> not to block I'm, a Cameron. I'm glad you. I'm glad you can't qualify. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I, absolutely no interest in this. And yeah, the appeal of Avatar was that it was in 3D and it was the first 3D film really that that hit the cinema in this recent digital age. And I think people just went to see it because because of that fact. And um, yeah, it brought in quite a bit of money. But you know, in terms of storyline, in terms of what he was actually saying in that, it was just drivel, absolute. Really? Well, absolute. it was Fern Gully, if you remember that <laughs> yeah, from the nineties. It yeah. was actually the Fern, Fern Gully. Gully yeah, movie. totally, totally, totally agree with you. It was but a pile of shit. In these press releases <laughs> about the sequels, I haven't seen anyone anywhere mention the fact they're going to be in 3d or in any kind of higher frame rate which uh, is you can guarantee it's going to be 60 60 frames a second hfr uh, 3d you can guarantee it cameron will do it he might do but is anyone going to care 
No, no, but he'll do it. <laughs> this is James. 60 frames a second. He's going to bugger it up for us in Europe, isn't he? This is this is James Cameron. He'll do what he wants. He's king of the world, you know, so. I don't know. If this doesn't come off, he, he, all of a sudden he'll be back to doing Piranha 3. So, uh, yeah, that'll be, <laughs> be interesting to see. Uh, I, I don't know. It's been quite a long time. And there's been quite a lot of cooling down of interest in 3D. And I don't know. I, 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 I think it's it's not. It, it, I, I'm sure that the movie see, film studios see it as, as, as a no-brainer. I'm, I'm less convinced that that's, that's necessarily the case, well, especially spreading it across the one thing I've learned, Ed, over the last few years, is never, ever underestimate James Cameron. When he was making Titanic, I remember thinking, this is going to be a disaster. The abyss was a failure. Well, it was. It sunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it was a film. But yeah, I just thought that this is going to be a sequel there. 200 million that, on a film about Titanic. This is, is that genuinely... Bomb. But is that genuinely not underestimating James Cameron, or is that never over- overestimate what people will actually go out and spend well, money possibly, on? But so, okay, you make Titanic. You know, there's no no stars at the time. DiCaprio was not a star when that film was made. No stars. Uh, Two hundred million. He was a known name. No, no he's very never going to carry a two hundred million dollar film though. So no stars. Everyone knows how it ends. There's no chance of a sequel. There's no real merchandising possibilities. And they spent two hundred million making it. You're thinking that's going to lose a fortune. Biggest money-making film of all time by a country mile wins 11 Oscars. Bloody hell. 12 years she comes out with Avatar, you're thinking, well, that's going to fail. It's Fern Gully, as, as just pointed out. You know, it looks terrible in the trailers. You know, that brilliant, um, you know, meme with um, Hitler ranting and raving about it. You're thinking, another disaster. No, biggest film of all time by a country mile, even more than Titanic. So Cameron, he's got his finger on the zeitgeist that no one else has. Yeah, but the, it's interesting that like both those instances they've been they were essentially standalone projects that were you know they 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 intrigued by their nature. One because you thought, how can you make a film out of something which is a a depressing and well known historical event, and then how can you rehash a nineties kids made for TV film? Um, whereas he's he's, he's, <laughs> he's coming back to the same con- and this is this is asking lightning to strike twice, and I'm not. Yeah, that, that, that's a bigger oh, ask, twice, especially when you're asking three, to do it three times. times, three more times. Yeah, yeah. I, so. you see, I, I don't know why Hollywood bother because the biggest movie um, of all time is going to open on Wednesday of this week as this podcast goes out, and it's it's Britain's very own lovable Alan Partridge in Alpha Papa. I'm sure it'll be brilliant. It's but time I for big school. To see it back in the next. <laughs> it's <That's>... Alexei. <laughs> We could be here all night with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, I've seen the trailers, and I will go and see it next, next this week, um, ready for next week's podcast. But I kind of get the feeling it is probably going to play a lot better on TV than it will at cinema. I, don't know. I won't. I must admit to some slight concerns about the transition from TV to to film. I'm a massive, massive Partridge fan. Uh, I, 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 I think in my younger days. I think he's uh, had. I think he's had long enough. To develop this one, that I'm hoping that it is just wall-to-wall quotable fun. Basically. That's what it needs to be. That's what it needs to be to be, you know, up there with the TV series, doesn't it? Partridge is at its best. It's just a quote, a quote every thirty seconds. So this film's got to maintain that pace somehow and keep interest. It slightly worries me, but I'll, obviously I'll go and see it. But yeah, uh, dread. A lot of fans on this podcast, and there is now a petition underway uh, for a sequel. And it was something that Chris. Uh, was very keen on and was hoping that the Blu-ray sales were going to be high enough, uh, because it did bomb at the cinema, uh, to persuade uh, the makers to to do a sequel. It looks like it might happen, Steve. Well, definitely the the 
um, DVD and Blu-ray sales have been really big, uh, much, much larger than, than anticipated or even hoped for. Uh, it's been a, a huge hit on Blu-ray and, and DVD, which definitely, you know, helps. I mean, there's a, there's a long history of movies that have failed at the cinema and then found a, a home, you know, in, in the home video market. Blade Runner is a good example of a film I'll, I'll give you, movies. I'll give you the best example ever, and that's Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yeah. You know, it absolutely bombed, and it was only on, oh. on, on, uh, on video that, yeah, yeah got, it found got an audience. audience. Yeah, and also, there's also a, a big history of films that have done quite well at the cinema and then very well on home video and have got a lot of, you know, a lot of love for them. And then their sequels, which invariably aren't very good, have had ma- have been massive hits. I mean, basically, Matrix was a, was a decent size hit and got a lot of uh, word of mouth afterwards and it was very popular on, on home video. Matrix 2, not a good film, but a massive, massive hit because of the affection for The Matrix. Same with the second parts of the Caribbean movie. So, you know, there's no no question that I think if you, given the amount of sort of uh, affection and uh, and um, you know, love for Dread, the, the, the movie, um, there's definitely a market out there for a sequel. And, if, and I think, you know, I think it will do much better than Dread did at the cinema because there's a lot of people now who've seen Dread either on Sky or on DVD or on Blu-ray. You know, I watched it bizarrely. I watched it at the weekend because my sister and her husband hadn't seen it. So we, we watched it. And it is a great movie. It's a really good adult comic book film. I haven't seen made it yet. Made by adults for adults. I haven't uh, seen watch it yet. It. Well, you and the three D was actually watchable in this. Yeah, as well. it was one of those three D movies. It was really nice to watch. So, uh, so you know, I think uh, they they could um, keep the budget reasonably tight. They could have a hit on their hands. I don't know. I, 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 it's the kind of film that I wonder whether a sequel might kind of just taper off because there's there's got to be a huge amount of people who are buying into just the general you know procession of comic book films and would have picked up Dread. I know there are quite a lot of people who did find it excessively violent who didn't quite understand what judge dread was at its core you know quite how nihilistically ruthless as, as a vision it was There's no question that the r rating of the 18 certificate in this country uh, worked against it in terms of box office because it obviously cut out a large percentage of their possible audience yeah. um you know being that most kids are going most people are going to see movies these days are like 15 year olds so yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see it made if it was going to be some diluted Stuff no, I mean that was the appeal to me. It was the fact it yeah. was so hard edged with lots of strong language and and really strong violence in it. I mean, it was a, a film I never thought they'd make. I never ever thought they'd make a dread film like that. Uh, you know, you just don't think it's going to happen. Um, so the fact they did is just a miracle in itself. So if we get a sequel to that, that'll even be a bigger miracle. After that, it'll be the second coming. I can only think that's the only thing left, really. So I was just going to say, I wonder if Carl Urban's face can take it. For another ninety-minute film, <laughs> that sneer, the the way, it, yeah, you that's know. got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> so you know, you never know. You never know. Family Guy came back. Yep, twice. <laughs> and he's he said there will never be a movie, which is great because I think that would just ruin it. To be honest, I don't yeah. know. On BBC Three last night, there was a two hundredth episode documentary partnering thing, and he was saying that there there, there was he had something in mind but it was it explicitly had to be something they couldn't do on television so christ only knows what they're thinking about there but it, he appears to be mellowing in that regard presumably because he's envisaging a steamer trunk full of hundred dollar bills. well he, he had the, he had the success with ted so i think you know that's that's where he's gonna go with now his, he's doing that western isn't he yeah he's doing the western thing so latest series of family guy actually on bbc3 at the minute which is uh turned out to be really quite good last year was a bit hit and miss yeah, but uh, yeah. the ones I've seen this this time around, really good. Also, talking about TV, while we're still on TV, um, October 31st for the new Sherlock. Three Ooh. episodes, feature length. Are we excited? 
I am. Yeah, definitely. My yep. wife isn't, but no. That's, uh, I mean, it's a brilliant show. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Moffat, Stephen Moffat, who also is, a showrunner, is the showrunner of Doctor Who, of course, is one of those guys that's a bit smug and not as clever as he thinks he is. But um, he definitely, with, along with Mark Gattis, they did a brilliant job of, of um, updating Sherlock Holmes for the modern age. And although I can no longer look at Benedict Cumberbatch without thinking about Ed's words about a hyper-intelligent potato, um, uh, he is a brilliant, brilliant choice to play Sherlock. And, and Martin Freeman makes a perfect foil for him. Um, oh, yeah. It, 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 it lit, the casting is... It, it, you, well, I mean, you always say you couldn't ask for better. You have to delve in deep into high, into the hypothetical thought, but it is a fantastic choice for the two lead roles. I think and, it um, absolutely looks beautiful as well. The the production values are absolutely astounding. Yeah. You know, for for a BBC production, it is beautiful to look at, and I love the the fast cutting and uh, the use of new technology. Um, you know, when he's using the smartphones and stuff, and and the way that they convey what it is that he's looking at on screen and then how his thought process is then working out what's going on. I think it's brilliant the way they put it together. Sorry, in the books, John Watson is injured fighting in Afghanistan. (laughs) And obviously in the TV show, he was also injured fighting in Afghanistan. (laughs) So the more things change, the less they actually do. It's interesting. Whilst they're still working uh, for future publishing, who are just just to one side of, of Baker Street, it did become quite tiresome explaining that the uh, Speedy Sandwich Bar, which uh, is the front of the 221 in, in this version of Sherlock, is actually just outside Euston Square Station, so that uh, the idiots who got off looking for it have in fact got off one station actually, too far. Uh, as, a, as a slight aside there, Ed, I used to work for Abbey National, whose head office actually was 221B Baker Street. Um, every now and then you'd walk down to the lobby reception area and find Japanese tourists wandering around trying to find Sherlock, they actually had to employ a secretary whose only job was answering all of Sherlock Holmes's mail. And she would write back to everybody and tell them he's retired and lives on the South Coast. That's an awesome job. They should have just yeah. employed someone that dressed up as Sherlock Holmes and gone there. They helped. did that, but they did it a bit further up the road. There was a museum um, a bit further up Baker Street, not 221, but that claimed to be 221, it wasn't actually. And they had a guy standing outside dressed up as Sherlock Holmes with a deer stalker in the pipe. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> and uh, moving things on quickly, uh, Fargo, TV series, Corn Brothers, Billy Bob Thornton. This caught my attention today. I don't know if it caught anybody else's attention. This sounds epic. It's been a long time since the film, though. I, I, that's the only concern. Yeah, wasn't the main thing about the film um, Francis McDormand, anyway? <laughs> but yeah, isn't that a good thing? Yeah, I think uh, that is a good thing. I was going to say exactly the same thing. They've kind of disconnected from it. If 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 it was too soon, people would be expecting, you know, kind of thematic threads running through it. Whereas now they've kind of they've got a decent distance from the original story. So that I think, yeah, I think I think they can pretty much run with whatever they want there. Yeah, I, I bought into all that small town uh, America. The, the whole feel of it. I, I love the film. It was a great movie. And I, I bought into the whole feel of that of the you know, the desolate Midwest and all the rest of it. I, I, yeah, fantastic the film, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Excited to see what the Coen Brothers can do with uh, with TV when they haven't got the boundaries of film. So uh, it should be interesting. And a woodcutter. And a woodcutter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm fine with the Coen. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Steve Buscemi in it, but I think that's unlikely. <laughs> Didn't he end up in a woodcutter? <laughs> no, he was the one feeding him in, wasn't he? No, no, he wasn't the one. He was the one being fed into it. Was he? Can't remember now. Yeah, it was Peter Stormare who was feeding him in. <laughs> cracking film black you know, the black comedy in it was just unbeatably good yeah, it was really funny 
Okay, so uh, rounding up on the movies quickly because uh, we're fast running out of time this week. Uh, so, Steve, what's at the cinema? A busy week, actually, Phil. Um, last week we had actually four cinema releases, although one of them wasn't at my local cinema. Uh, that was God, Only God Forgives, which is the new Ryan Gosling, um, Nicholas Winding Refn movie, who made dri- Driven, uh, no, not Driven, made Drive together. Um, I'm sure Kaz will be covering that on the site anyway at some point quite soon. Uh, I went to go and see Red 2, The Heat, and The Conjuring. Red 2 is obviously a sequel to Red. Um, unusual that they've actually used a 2 in the title, because these days I figure everyone just has a you know, um, a subtitle rather than a, a numerical um, suffix. Um, but it's basically, uh, Red stands for Retired Extreme Dangerous. It's about a bunch of uh, retired CIA spies and contract killers who end up you know, being chased around the world because of some plot. Uh, it's got Bruce Willis in it. Uh, most of the returning cast, actually, so Bruce Willis, uh, John Malkovich, and um, Helen Mirren, who plays uh, an ex-MI6 operative who's now a contract killer. Um, it's it's one of those films. He's got the film. The original film was mediocre. Got poor, mediocre reviews. Did okay at the box office. Somehow they've made a sequel. I'm not quite sure why they bothered. Uh, again, it's fun. It's very bland. You know, it's okay. Bruce Willis is pretty much sleepwalking through the entire film. Mirren's great. Uh, you've got Anthony Hopkins and Brian Cox. That's pr- not Professor Brian Cox. That's the actor Brian Cox, um, who both, of course, play Lecter, Hannibal Lecter, on screen, and they're in a scene together, which is quite nice to see if you're a sort of a cineast. Um, it's it's an okay movie. It's it's fun in places. The plot's actually not too bad. The acting's okay, but it's kind of the kind of film that you'd probably enjoy more watching on DVD or Blu-ray of a, of a, on a boring, you know, sort of wet Sunday evening or something. So probably not bother going to see the movies for that one. Uh, the Heat is a buddy cop. Mismatched, mismatched buddy cop um, comedy movie, you know, which has been doing the rounds now for at least thirty years since back in eighty two with um, forty eight hours. Bizarrely, I, I'm not aware of uh, anyone ever doing it with two women, which is the kind of the the, the the unique thing about the heat. It's Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy who play uh, Sandra Bullock plays a sort of an uptight FBI agent. Melissa McCarthy is a kind of very foul, very very foul mouthed uh, police detective. And they end up joining up together to go and uh, try and catch a drug dealer. I thought it was absolutely hysterical. Uh, easily the funniest film I've seen all year. Uh, it's made by Paul Feig, who who directed Bridesmaids. It's written by the one of the writers on Parks and Recreation. Um, Sandra Bullock's a really, really gifted comedian who unfortunately has picked some dodgy movies in the past. But she's superb in this. Really, really funny. Melissa McCarthy is hysterical. She gets all the best lines. Um, and it was an absolute hoot from beginning to end. So definitely recommend that one if you fancy a really good laugh. Go and see it with the wife. Um, and finally, The Conjuring, which is not, as the title might suggest, about magicians. It's uh, one of those annoying films that claims to be based on a two-story, which when it's utter cobblers, obviously. You know, anything involved supernatural clearly isn't going to be true because there's no such thing. Um, it's it's one of these things where the people involved were also involved in the Amityville horror film, uh, story that's already been proved to be complete rubbish. Um, but apparently this happened before the Amityville horror and was so terrifying, they haven't mentioned it for 40 years. Yeah, right. Uh, the annoying thing is, even though I really hate these kind of films that claim to be true when they're obviously not, the film itself, whilst being massively derivative, is actually genuinely quite scary in places and very effective. Um, again, uh, I, I'd probably recommend, I've, what I'd forgotten until I was sat in the cinema, is how much fun it is seeing a, a scary movie with an audience. Uh, much, much more fun than watching it on your own and probably slightly less scary than watching it on your own. But yeah, I, I definitely remembered for the first time in a long time just how um, how much you can enjoy 
both watching a comedy with an audience because the heat, everyone was laughing along with you. And then uh, in the country, everyone's obviously jumping out of the seat at the same time. Uh, is it worth going to see it in the movies? I'd probably wait for it on, um, unless you want to get that kind of, you know, shared experience at the cinema, pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD. It's actually a, an effective horror film. I just get really, really annoyed when people try and claim it's based on a true story when it obviously isn't. Like the Bible. Like, yeah, like anything like that. You know, it's just people being gullible idiots. Like, all religions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's not go there. Um, so, so you enjoyed it with an audience, Steve. I take it you went and seen all three of these movies on the same day on your own. I did, I did, and I had a curry sort of mid, well, two thirds of the way through. Oh, dear me. <laughs> After the first two movies, he was on his own by the end of the last movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when it got really scary. Uh, so red, red two, you said it had something of a plot. Was that right, or, or did I? Yeah, yeah, that? the plot actually wasn't too bad. Um, you know, it, it, uh, there was, um, yeah, I'm not going to give any, too much away, but they're, they're basically they're, the basic premise is that there's a, a, a nuclear bomb that was smuggled into Moscow during the Cold War, and they're trying to find it, and there's a bunch of people trying to kill the main characters, and they're being chased by a Korean hitman. Oh, interestingly, there's a, se- a brief sequence in Hong Kong where you can see <laughs> my apartment. You can actually see my apartment. Oh, block. Christ almighty. <laughs> <laughs> worth it for that alone though. yeah that's the only reason I went to go and see it basically because uh, it's also in the trailer that particular sequence oh that's where I used to live I was amazed um, that you managed to get through the story about the bank and the Japanese tourists without yeah. saying <laughs> I ran downstairs and said I used to live in Japan <laughs> <laughs> that was before I lived in Japan <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Red Red 2 is okay. It's, it's some nice action sequences in it. Helen Mirren's good. Uh, Andy Hopkins is in it, um, playing a, a loony scientist. What is it um, with Bruce Willis these days? Every interview uh, he does is just Willis an just absolute Clearly, In the film, he just doesn't care. He says, he just, does he need the money that badly? Did Did you see him, him on the one show? Yeah, no, that was the terrible. Interview? Oh, Jesus. God. I mean, they were awful interviewers, in all honesty. The questions they were asking were appalling. But he just, like, he, obviously, he was there contractually and just wanted to be anywhere else. Uh, but even in the film, his performance is just, he's sleepwalking through it. Uh, you know, you've got John Markovich, who's like least trying to be funny, you know, and play a bit kooky. Um, Helen Mirren, yeah, you, you still would, wouldn't you? I mean, she looks fit as a butcher's dog, even in the uh, late 60s. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you would well, have yeah. To be fair, Steve is, is in those late 60s as well. So. And any, anything with a pulse, eh, Steve? <laughs> oh, Catherine C. Jones turns up um, with about... An uh, inch of makeup on. She, well, she, she just she just thumbs up, does she? <laughs> no, she plays a Russian agent. <laughs> um, but she, honestly, I was looking at thinking, like, if, it, if it had been a projector at home, I'd be going, "Hang on, these colours are off." <laughs> flesh tones are definitely not flesh tones. But she's got like she's caked up with makeup. She looks, she's starting to look her age, and she's only my age. But uh, um, uh, yeah, it was quite weird. I don't know if that was some sort of d- creative decision. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she she's in it as well. There's actually quite a few. Stephen Burkoff pops up for about five seconds and then gets killed. Uh, David Thewlis turns up playing a character called the Frog, but he's not a Frenchman. <laughs> it's a bizarre film at times, but it, yeah, it was um, yeah, it, it's a fun. It, like I said, it, on a wet or wet Tuesday evening, in a bit bored. Well, a Tuesday now, not a Sunday. It's changed from Sunday now. It's gone, <laughs> well, down. It's really gone down, down the ratings. Yeah. Okay. Right. Time to shut up, Steve, and uh, let's move on. I will shut up. You asked me a bloody question. I <laughs> know <laughs> well, that was that's... I was done. <laughs> Open Pandora's box. I <laughs> know. Well, I just thought. Is that the name of the avatar? Yeah. Yeah, Pandora's box. <laughs> We're back to Vista now. <laughs> oh, that would be a brilliant Avatar Two Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fucking brilliant. <laughs> uh... 
<laughs> Why did you not say that? that? Why you said that during the bit about <laughs> I can't turn it on, gents. It's just when it happens. <laughs> So we move on to the world of games and uh, Mr. Botwright, what is happening? Obviously, games podcast coming up uh, next week, so we don't want to give too much away, but uh, what is happening in terms of games? Um, In terms of games, it's fairly quiet in terms of everyone's really gearing up for the big release of GTA 5 and the next-gen consoles, but there are a couple of interesting little stories. We're talking about the dread and the online petition and the We've previously touched on Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding and that kind of thing. Um, Devil Survivor 2, a little kind of Japanese role-play game for the DS. Uh, looks like it's going to get a release in the UK, but publishers Ghostlight are asking for pre-orders before they actually commit to release it. So it's it's an interesting kind of little side story to this modern democratisation of gaming through through things like Kickstarter in that they're actually trying to get people on board and pledge money before it, they actually make a decision, which is... So is, is that pledging money or is that actually giving that's them a, money? That's actually paying up front, actually, I should say, rather than actually pledging. They're saying if, if they don't get... They only want 1,800, apparently, pre-orders, so therefore, you know, they should probably get that, but that's by 30th of August, so, so it's, it, it's a pretty it, limited market. How much are they 1,800 by what? Uh, by 30th of August, and then they want 24.99, I think it is. So much it's going to cost. Right, so let's yeah. let's test the banker. Hmm? Oh me. Yep. Uh, Twenty-five pound by eighteen hundred. Uh, yep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Start tool. <laughs> Accessories. Yeah. 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 So this banking it's job that you have. Fifty grand, isn't it? <laughs> fifty grand. Okay. Not a lot, actually. That's a, it's about a night in the town as a banker, is it not? Once you, uh, yeah, once yeah, you along with the cocaine in the and the hookers, and <laughs> so so the, that's what they're looking for, Mark. This, you know, if it was me and I was a fan of the game, and they were given a guarantee that uh, if the target was reached, they would produce the game, um, I might be more inclined to give my money up front. Have they given any guarantees that they will do it? Yeah, I think that. Well, they're they're obviously a pretty main. Well, they're a known publisher, so that they would say that they are definitely going to do it if they get the get the money. Um, you know, it's it's a good idea. It, it kind of gets the ball rolling, and it's probably that's just for like the first run, and then afterwards, you would think they would be pretty much self funding. Uh, but it, it's it's quite just a little weird side note to this whole idea of crowdfunding, and you've actually now got. A, a proper business, a bona fide business, not just some guy in his bedroom asking for money to to make something, not a group of kind of, you know, oddballs deciding that they're c- going to come up with some madcap invention. This is someone who's already invested in the world of publishing games, saying that you know they've they've looked at other avenues and they couldn't do it without getting people to to put the money up up front. I often wondered if with some Blu-ray releases, um, particularly the more esoteric titles, you see them get announced. And then quite often the release date gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I'm wondering if it's because they're waiting for, to get to a certain number of pre-orders before yeah, they commit that. to actually pressing the discs. Yeah, lots of really kind of niche ones as well, you know, in kind of obscure publications and that kind of thing. They tend to do that. And then they're just going to fizzle away and never actually come out. And you, you yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, they just never turn up, do they? Yeah. You, I you they never that, get enough interest. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
there is a very good piece on on the site right now that Leon's written about the power of social media and gaming. Everyone should read that. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of this weird state with with films and with games at the moment that you have got this kind of consumer power, like with the the dread petition, and you even got the classic uh, kids TV show Nightmare turning up on YouTube's Geek Week. Has anyone else watched that? I actually, I, I did look at the link you sent, but I had absolutely no idea what you're talking about, Mark. <laughs> How could you not? I, I can't be the only one who loved Nightmare. I have no idea what you are talking about. No idea. Uh, yeah. it, it was like a kind of uh, augmented reality before augmented reality uh, kid show, like a kind of fancy thing. You'd the, yeah, but they'd have to wear the helmet and then they'd be guided show? through. Was it a kid show when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody else yeah. on this podcast is we at least be- forty. Oh. I was too busy doing cocaine and hookers. Speak for yourself. I, 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 I do, nowhere near 40, is it? I, I, I remember Nightmare as a kid as well. I just hated it, if I'm honest. I, I thought it was absolutely How shit. could you? You're talking to people who watched Rent-A-Ghost, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, that, that's and, now, that was good. And Cracker Jack. Yeah. yeah. I just and, thought... It, I thought um, and Record Breakers. Uh, and Jimmy Savile. <laughs> the thing is, when you actually think Nightmare is one of those things which you get nostalgic about and you think, oh, there was giant spiders and all sorts of things. Actually, the majority of it was like watching paint dry. And Have, have you it, watched it, the latest episode? Have you watched the episode they've put together? Well, it's no, brilliant. They've got the original tray guard back. There's the helmet of justice. They've got the knapsack and the spell casting. It's absolutely brilliant. I usually, I you know, I hate nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. But I genuinely think they should bring it back. I think they should bring back, um, what is it, the Crystal Crystal the Maze? Clangers, Crystal, maze. Crystal, Crystal Maze. Crystal Maze. Crystal Maze was weird. Crystal oh. Maze was like some oh. kind of weird register for oddball presenters. Well, People only one place. Well, there was, well, there was an oddball. You know, that's why everybody liked him. He was an oddball. But I think they should bring it back for the 21st century and actually make it life and death. You know, the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that... The Sony might limit the number of PS4s available. There's so many pre-orders coming in now that they're the only initial pre-orders are going to get met in December. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Um, it's I think it's pre-ordered by about August the fifth, and then you'll be guaranteed to get one on release day. But there's lots of talk that they're yes they're doing it intentionally. That it's this idea of you know restricting supply, and then you you know you push up demand. I don't because, think it. I don't think it's that. Do you? I mean, the well, how come they're, they're launching multi? Didn't that happen with the, how many countries the Xbox they're launching? 360? Didn't that happen with the Xbox yeah. 360 when that was first launched? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past them because then why then are people saying that there should be units there available to buy on the day? If if there's oh. going to be deliveries deliveries on the day and there, if there's going to be units rolling into the store on release day and the like and there will be excess there, why would you then say that you have to pre-order by a certain date? That, that doesn't really tally up for me. It's like saying there has to be a certain percentage that can get it via pre-order. And then, and then there's a certain make. amount that you're... Yeah, I know, but why wouldn't you give everything for pre-orders and then just, you know, Wait, Joe yeah. Schmo walks off... Well, they know to get people into stores. They'll buy a load of bundle. They'll buy a load of games in a bundle because I have no bloody choice. A markup on eBay, won't you? <laughs> Yeah, is it not that you also want to generate a new story of thousands of idiots queuing outside? Yeah, there's a bit of that as well, I think. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, then the, think... they'll, they'll magically find a, a container full of them on the week before Christmas, but they'll bump the price up by at least 40 quid. The same as an Xbox One, could be, prospectively, on eBay. Yeah. Oh, Christ, there's going to be a trade in them. 
in both. Oh, I think there's going to be yeah. scalpers yeah, I think eBay is going all to be the way of, yeah. this yeah. Christmas. It's going, it's going to be because there's there's be no way. Nightmare, isn't it, this Christmas? There are so many different kind of you know rumors going around about problems with production and the like. You know, a different one comes out every week that most of it's absolute rubbish. But I'd be very surprised if they're if they're totally ready for the demand for these things. That's what I'm saying. I don't think they'll have. You or, know, or they, they have, they're not going to have an unlimited supply, are they? So. Or, or the cynical side of you says they haven't got enough pre-orders. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's that. There's the possibility because nobody ultimately. I think the point is is that if you've got two rival consoles, no one wants to be the one that you see dozens of them lining up the you know the storefronts, and no, everyone wants to be the one that says sold out. You know, yeah, you true. want to drive that idea that, yeah. in fact, yours is Everybody the one Everybody wants, wants what they can't have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just just think of Tracy Island. Oh, the Tracy Island thing at all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but Blue Peter isn't going to step into the breach and tell you how to make your own next-gen games console, though, Phil. I, 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 I don't know. Have you seen it recently, yeah? <laughs> no, I confess I, I'm making it's a very modern these days. Well, I mean, it'd be easy enough, because all you have to do is build a, a PC. That's all it is, isn't it? a Raspberry Pi, In a smart box. Just, yeah, well... Yeah, you, know, you, you can make it easy doing papier mache, is it? <laughs> well, you could you do that. Looked, looked effective. Yeah, you could do that with your Frosty's box and stuff, and make it look. Okay. That's not going to wash on the kids of today, though. Is yeah, it? you're going to get some serious tears on Christmas Day. If that's what you get them. <laughs> not and, be and frankly, with the box. quite rightly so, you tight <laughs> bastard. Then <laughs> call me tight. I spent six hundred pounds on a pram today. Oof. How much? Six. I hope you've got kids. Jeez. Well, there's one on, one on the way. No, no, I bought it for my Otherwise, that's one hell of an impulse purchase. <laughs> yeah, it's like the character in About a Boy is just trying to pick up girls. £619. You got one that faces you or faces away. Oh, it's God. Like it, does, an it, does, it does everything. It has everything oh, spins. Um, it, it's really, really quite something. And the chassis is seam welded like a racing car, which appealed to me. How fast are you going to be pushing it? <laughs> I'm hang not. on, hang on. So what you're actually saying is you could have bought one for 50 quid, but you spent 600 quid or something because it was cool. It is possible to spend less, but this this one was hella cool. I, 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 I just kind of get my head around how a pram costs 600 quid. It started well, it, about 200. Which your kid's going to grow out of in a year? No, really? no, you can't help yeah. that, can you? Jesus yeah. Christ, we're in the wrong business, guys. Yeah. Use should this be... one all the way through, it becomes a pushchair in its defence. So I, I can get years of misery out of this one. So, yeah, I, I'm... That was a calculated no, decision. All right. Fair so, well, so, yeah. what, what, what you do worry about is if the missus says, no, it needs to be a double one. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, that particular that, that particular uh, demon has been uh, been put away. So, Because I mean, my wife is an identical twin, and uh, there are lots of non-identical twins in my family, so I was justifiably concerned, but I, I, there is only one in the way, unless it's like Quarto in total. So you can never be totally <laughs> 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 It must be said, I actually today, it's completely off topic, I did buy one of those sling things that you, you stick your long-suffering in. A, a papoose. Yes, and one of the reasons that I chose the one I did is because you can put the baby both ways round, so yeah. I can actually do a quarto thing. <laughs> so, as you can see, I'm well cut out Quaid. to be at the end. So, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Uh, do we phone social services now, or what? No, you have to wait until I've actually done something wrong. I'm sorry. There's, a, you, you know, it's not, intent isn't enough. I'm afraid. I think so that's you your Halloween costume sorted. Then is it? You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so some quick tech news, guys. What about the Moto X? Moto X. <laughs> yes. I would quite like one, but that doesn't it's really just count. A mid-range, it's just a mid-range phone. You know, you know, What's this? Oh. The, the Moto X that Google See, managed the pic- to. 
drum up the so pic- much hype about. I've got to say, the picture on the front of the site was the thing that put me off most. Well, you like the wooden look. The wooden back and then the little bracelets on the wrist and then he's sitting on a grifter. It just screams hipster that I want to punch. That's Steve. (laughs) Would you say, say, Mark, that you you didn't get wood? I definitely got no wood about the Moto X. No, it's just just a boring mid-range phone that does Google now on demand, basically. And if it hadn't been for Google buying Motorola, you would never heard of it. Pram news. <laughs> Pram news done. That's not going in, surely. How many wheels does it have? Four. It at least it have three, four? Or three or four, yeah. You've got, you got a four-wheeler good. Flat does it have an engine, one. at least? It does. I want it to be like a baby Segway for that The money. front wheels can be locked in place for better off-road ability. They all do that, even the well, 200 quid ones. Ed. Better off-road ability. You, well, if you don't want, if you take a McLaren one off 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 road, if the wheels keep wobbling around, they get jammed up with mud and crud, and they don't work properly. So you can lock them. In how place far just, off road are people taking the these prams? I don't know. I live next to the I live next to the Grand Union Canal, and if I want to, if I want to take Junior to the McLaren pub, pram. drop kids down the long staircase and try and race them to the bottom or something. Oh, I don't what, what can I say? I, it, it, I was I was taken in by this field. I spent six, I spent six hundred pounds on a pram. I, I I will live with that. You won't be the last. You won't be the last. No, if the kid hates it though. He isn't going to have any choice. And he can't speak. So no, there are some kids that literally will just refuse to get into certain prams. You've got to so overpower them. <laughs> bit, bit of battering will do the trick. That's what I'm going to ask the kid. The other thing, as a lazy person that did appeal, don't don't want to keep going on about this. That, that you can take, you uh, can actually just physically drop the car seat into the same locker. Yeah, class. that is that is a big blessing, as you'll find. That was the nightmare getting the first car seat in the in the back of the car. With the first one, night didn't know what we were doing. Should have rehearsed. In retrospectively, it took us about you forty never, minutes. Never let you out of the hospital, should they? <laughs> yeah, no, no, probably not. On. That bombshell of Pram News. Uh, that is the AV Forums podcast for this week. Uh, my thanks to Mark Botwright. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. No, you've done that one. Done that. Oh, what? We've got to pick another one? Yeah, you've got to have a different one. Hang on, where there? Google. <laughs> damn. Anyway, uh, also thanks to Steve Withers. Smile, you son of a bitch. Uh, Mark Hodgkinson. Hooper, stop playing yourself, Hooper. And Ed Selly. This is not the time or place to perform some kind of half-assed autopsy on a fish. And back to Mark Botwright. Uh, hang on, it's loading. <laughs> where, where there, there? No, just leave. I need a million of them. Oh, shut up. Uh, ah, right. I don't have to take this abuse much longer. No. Very apt. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at AV Forums, uh, also facebook.com forward slash AV Forums, and bookmark avforums.com for the latest news, news, reviews, and videos. Uh, plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show? Uh, I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. 